1: Hey and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is a very special Friday follow-up episode. We are... Mike is here. Hello. And uh, we're also joined in the studios by one of our other NBI Studios podcast hosts, uh, the host of the Made Us podcast, Mr. Zach Weaver. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Yep, it, it, you're welcome.
2: Thanks for coming out, Zach.
1: <laughs> As you can see... Uh, we're a little uh, a little out of practice in doing a live kind of recording like this, but this is the thing. Well, we decided, uh, every year, every season, we do a season finale episode, then we always have scheduled to do one last follow-up episode afterward, but nobody asks many questions because we, the, the whole idea and concept of the follow-up is that we, we put a button on everything. Right.
2: We, yeah, and, and usually there are a lot of questions at the end of any normal episode, but uh, for a finale, obviously, there's not much to work with. Almost like it's final. That's exactly war. right. <laughs>
1: right, right. So, uh, and trying to, and also Mike and I are leaving. So you guys are here this Friday, but this is Monday. We're recording. Uh, Mike and I are leaving tomorrow morning to head to Bloomington, Illinois, to begin some work on our season seven case. So we also had a re- recording scheduling issue that we, we usually do this on Wednesdays, but we're going to be gone.
2: Yeah, we're hitting the ground running on Monday morning. Mm-hmm.
1: So, mm-hmm. so we're we decided to have Zach come in. Zach is a listener of our show. He is uh, uh, lucky enough to be able to come down the street and and talk to me and ask me his own questions.
3: Yeah, for a few more minutes. I say minutes. A few few weeks?
1: 28 days. 28 Mm -hmm. days. We're out of here. four Four weeks from today, we're supposed to be... We're supposed to be I, heading out of here.
3: I do bother you a lot with questions about this. Not at all. Not at all. But I'm like, I'm not going to ask on the thread. I'm just going to go down to his house or text him, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right?
1: And the funny thing is that he always feels ba- like the you had the the one the point about the uh, the BB guns, yes, yeah, sir, a while back. And in and Zach didn't put anything on the thread and comes down later. is like, well, I was going to ask this, but I fear people will know it's me. I'm like, who cares if they know it's you? Well, yeah, but I know that people know that we have a relationship.
3: That I don't want anything to be put out there. That's like. Oh, he's helping him.
2: Right. Ask the you know. Right. So, like, like playing favorites type stuff. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. No, not
1: at all. And just, so, Zach's very insightful in the case. So, what we're going to do here uh, today is we're going to talk about the season finale with Zach. I did put a thread up on the Facebook page. I'm looking at it right now. But this is normally Mike has put together a nice buttoned up outline, and and we haven't done that this week. I'm just going to kind of scroll through the thread and see if there's any questions we want to talk about. So we're going to talk the season six finale. Zach has also uh, listened to Season 4 and just watched the Netflix docuseries, or the Episode 1 at least, of Exhibit A that yep. dropped on Friday that covered George Powell's case. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Mike's seen it too, yep. uh, our thoughts on that. Uh, then I want to let you guys a little, know a little bit about what Zach's got going on over at Made Us. And we are going to be taking next week off while Mike and I are getting everything together for Season 7 to be, to premiere. So that's a great opportunity for you guys to check out the Made Us podcast and listen to some of the great content there.
2: And at the end of this episode, I think we're going to drop the trailer in for next week's episode, yeah, right?
1: So it'll be this way. It would have dropped yesterday. Yeah, it'll drop yesterday. Okay, yep, perfect. Yep. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get started. <laughs> I'm jacked up. Yeah, it's good. On it's this good. Infusco coffee, it's Podcaster juice right there. <laughs> right, Zach brought us down some Infusco coffee from uh, Infusco down in Sawyer. They're they're just a local, yeah, right? They're just a local company. Yeah, they're not. It's, if you're ever in Southwest Michigan, getting ready to go to the beach or something,
3: yeah, but, check them out. It's it's good stuff. Yeah. So he, hashtag jacked, not sponsored. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we're not getting paid yeah. for
1: this, but Zach does go down to uh, used to be once a week. You don't do it nearly as much as you used to.
3: Well, so I was taking it to my wife. All the time. My wife works in Sawyer mm-hmm. and my son was going to preschool in Sawyer. Mm-hmm. So it was like very convenient to do
2: it. Right. On the way. Now I thing. have no reason to now go there. Now it's very inconvenient yeah. and still we make him drive down yeah. to Sawyer and bring us Especially coffee.
3: because next year my son's starting right here.
2: So. Oh,
1: you don't have to go down to the. So I won't, I won't have to
3: go to Sawyer at all. Oh, right. right,
1: he's walking. Yeah, and yeah. also we're moving to a different town, so it's going to be a lot really inconvenient for us to bring us down on Friday morning. Yeah, it's going to be weird. Coffee, right? <laughs> Sons of bitches. Um, by the way, Mike, I guess we started the podcast.
2: All right, let's uh, roll.
1: Right, <laughs> we're going. Mike's your hot. Yeah, so let's give you a little taste of what's good, what's going on. as we're trying to, this. This is going to be a very unplanned, organic conversation. A informal lot of things. Yeah, informal. Yeah, informal sounds better than unplanned yeah it does <laughs> right yeah that's why you're the boss that's why mike's the boss the podcast boss so first of all let's talk a little bit about zach you and your wife are um we're very heavily into season six that's correct uh did is has, has michelle listened to the finale yet
3: as far as i know she has
1: because she was she was working yeah. out of the feral we have
3: not talked about it because she has been working mm-hmm. but uh i as far as i know she has listened to the finale what'd you think I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I really liked the way you buttoned everything up. You kind of went through the points, you know, the, the points that Colleen put out there that don't make a lot of sense. You know, it was nice that you, you finally (laughs) went through. Do you find
1: it difficult to not say the words that doesn't make sense? Yeah, I, I have to write I have to write that out of every one of my episodes now because there'll be something I'll be writing in like and blah, 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 blah. This doesn't make sense. And then I'm like, I can't say that. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's like burned into my brain now is.
3: Yeah. And then you're trying to find out other pleasant words to put in there, but it still right. doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But how you went like bullet point by bullet point kind of went. This is why this is, you know, untrue. Mm-hmm. Here's the fallacy in this. Here's you know, I think that was that was a really good way to wrap
1: it up. I, I like it. it was it was a very difficult editing process for Mike and I because we did no. things different. you know usually it's just me talking and then a few clips that were dropping in. but in this case we were it was me talking, dropping in clips from Colleen, dropping in more clips from me responding to that and then dropping in clips from Jim Clemente and Jim Fitzgerald. yeah. Um, so Mike was the the mastermind behind all that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed it. The process was a little more difficult than our usual format, um, with all the different drop ins and getting timing right. And I think we were both a little nervous when we got done with that, uh, wondering if we might have messed <laughs> up at some point. Because I mean, it was it was uh, it was a little tricky. But I think that that is kind of uh, a format we want to follow for future episodes going into season seven too.
1: Yeah, uh, our sound design we want to go with um, moving forward is a lot. Uh, as as we've talked to in our internal meetings with me, you and Shane, uh, is that you know we want less music and less of me, yeah, you know, le- basically less <laughs> of me and Shane and a lot more of Mike who does all the editing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, Where you know, I, I think that's what all the listeners want too, right? More of Mike. <laughs> but, <you> know, <laughs> yeah. They want more of Mike, less of Bob yeah. for sure. <laughs> uh, but you know, we, we we listen to for us. You know, keep in mind we're Mike and I are firemen that have learned to do a podcast. And I think we do a pretty good job, but. You know, we, we learn constantly and we're figuring out what works and what doesn't work. And, in one of our tri- trips when that we had to take not too long ago, as we said, we were listening to other very popular podcasts. We're listening to, and it's not that, you know, we're, I, I think our niche of audience is what it is. I think our audience is about what it's going to be. It fluctuates a little bit up and down, but yeah. you know, we've got people that are more interested in, uh, wrongful convictions than anything else. And that's why, and they like being involved. And so it's not like growing the audience, but what we always want to do is to produce content that is enjoyable for all of you to listen to.
3: Yeah, there needs to be some entertainment value in it.
1: Right. Yeah, it's something to keep you hooked because, you know, we need the support and the engagement. But if it sounds like garbage, then no one's going to listen to it to begin with. And so we went through and we listened to some very popular Wondery podcasts. We listened to Dr. Death. Which that was my favorite bar nine out of the list there. Yeah, it was great. And the sound design was amazing. What was it? Over My Dead Body. Yeah. We listened to... Uh and, and what we're listening to is is what's working what do because those podcasts are are massive, you know they've got a million people that are listening yeah. to them. And it's like, so what is it about it about those that are so great? And what we found is it's a lot of you know narrative storytelling like I do, but in much shorter pieces, and then a lot of cut cutting away to an interview and letting other voices move the story forward uh and a lot less music than we've done. And some of that is just the industry has changed. Yeah. It's just it changes all the time. You know, you that's go true. from what what's working last year, what people like last year, they don't like this year. So that's something that you, the listeners, can look forward to in season seven, is us attempting to do that, um, as as we're we're moving forward with it. And that was, yeah, so for this episode was kind of a testing of that methodology in the fact that we had for the first time in a long time, a list, usually it's Shane that has all the tracks with the music. And as we're getting ready to export just the vocals, just us talking to Shane, there was like nine tracks. And of course everything is, you know, set to line up or the, you know, so you just see a track here and a gap and then we have a vocals in there and then another gap and then four tracks down is the one that goes in there. And it was like, as we're, and we only messed up one thing. Did you see the text from Shane this weekend?
2: Yeah, but I thought it, I thought it turned out that it wasn't really a mistake. It was a, it was a minor mistake on my part. It was the, um,
1: when I redid the Clementi line, Mm. I just left one sentence too many. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we got that. But other, other than that, everything. T- I actually, I actually haven't listened to the final episode with the music in it yet. Neither have I. <laughs> did Why? you? Oh, you did. Yeah. I think as a
3: as a first attempt at this, I think it was a you know it came out really well. Yeah.
1: So. Did, did Shane ruin the music?
2: Uh, usually. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's just kidding. We yeah, love Shane. Just yeah, kidding. Shane. Yeah.
3: Um, Shane has also done my music for my podcast. So.
2: Yeah, an awesome intro song. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: He does. He does awesome work. He Shane does all the NBI shows. So we have. Um, so as I mentioned at the outset, Zach is the host of the Made Us podcast, which we're going to get into a little bit more in the, at the end of the segment. And then we have, uh, the Disgruntled Moms podcast, which is a comedy podcast. It's kind of about real life being moms. And I was hoping to have Sam Paulie on here today, but she's, she gets into town tomorrow. But, um, another great podcast. Shane does all the music for them. Uh, and then we have Hustle and Heels, uh, with Stacey Carlin and Angie Crocker. And Shane does all the music for them, so Shane is Shane is deeply rooted into Team NBI. That's right. But he lives in Nashville, so he's not here for Bloody Mary Fridays.
3: That's disappointing,
1: right? Um, so anyway, getting back to the the episode itself, uh, it, it was it was a neat process for me to go through to go back to the beginning, yeah, and look. And that's you know it's frustrating when you hear a lot of the, the comments. You know, th- there's always an opposing side to every single case we do and they're like you're not presenting anything from the prosecution and you're you know you're you you started this case without having any documents or knowledge of the case and 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 you already had your mind made up that Sandy was guilty and of course I know that's not true you yeah. guys both know that's not true you've been here during the, during the process but then I go back to the, what we produced in the season it's like no we started off with the prosecution's case and even though we didn't have the case documents to me, that is at that point yet, yeah, we, we had a lot of them, but we didn't have all of them. At that point, the whole purpose in bringing Colleen Barnett on was to say, okay, without, you, without all the reading through thousands of pages of documents and stuff, you were the person that did that, built the case, tried the case, and knows the case, and uh, I want you to come on and tell me. You tell me why she's guilty. And that was really the springboard for me to really believe Sandy was likely innocent It wasn't from Liz Rose. It wasn't from Sandy herself. It wasn't from the defense attorney. Colleen Barnett is the person that convinced me that Sandy is probably innocent.
3: Yeah, I I agree with that. And I think by you interviewing her and and having, you know, posting an unedited interview with her, it allowed her to to really wash herself out. I mean, it showed all the problems in the case that were really there, even though she said they weren't.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you didn't have to do anything. She did it herself. Yeah, that's, I mean, I fully expected, and Mike knows this when we were bringing her on. I was like, well, we'll see here. Cause I fully expected her to come and give us information we didn't have. Yeah. Right. You know, to come in and, and, and lay something out like, well, actually she was having an affair and we, we, you know, the, because a lot of, because t- at that point, you know, Dateline NBC had been out it was before 2020. So we'd seen that. It's like, yeah, but sometimes on TV, they'll spin these things and there's probably more to the story. There and wasn't. <laughs> it, yeah, there wasn't. It was like she she gave her case and it left me and Mike and you and I think most of our audience left with, seriously? Yeah. That's the case? Because, you know, as, as I've said over and over again throughout this season, what we heard from Colleen was a whole bunch. And there's even a point in the interview where I say, okay, well, so far all you've done is explain to me why you don't think someone else did it. Yeah. But you haven't told me why you think Sandy did it. And so then she shifts into that, and there's still nothing. Yeah, you know. And, and the thing, as I mentioned in this episode, that gets missed so much is the forensics. I mean, there's none of Sandy's DNA on Jim. There's none of Sandy's DNA anywhere near Jim. There's none of Jim's DNA on Sandy. There's no blood on her. There's no blood under her fingernails. There's no nothing anywhere. But we do have all these unknown profiles all over the place. They were partial, and that's something I'm hoping Kathleen Zellner using because I I know that. With working with Kim Og, uh, the the DA down in Harris County, Kim has I shouldn't call her Kim. I've never met the woman. Mrs. Og uh, is is allowing more DNA testing, and when we're, when you're using 2019 technology to do that, as opposed to 2012 technology, I mean, there's I mean, I just met with a DNA expert in California for the uh, for the TV show, and I was amazed. Like when I was talking to her about some of her old cases, she's like, "Oh, geez, just in." In the last two years, the technology yeah. has has gotten so much better well, just to break it down even simpler, I mean look at your phones like as a as a an audience
3: member, look at your phone. think about what your phone was in two thousand twelve you yeah. know even even though it was a nice phone you you might have an iphone right, but that's the iphone four maybe,
2: yeah, and now probably. there's
3: this whatever's out that does everything you know i mean technology has advanced
1: so much in that oh, time yeah. period that right.
2: exponentially it's it's incredible yeah
1: and so and so we have all these Unknown DNA profiles all over the scene and in and in some pretty intriguing places like on the bindings, on Jim's bindings, on the closet doorknob, on the, the where were they, somewhere like the nightstand outside the closet, in the closet. I mean, there's there's DNA for people that weren't supposed to be there in places where they shouldn't be yeah. for the murders. I mean but so it, that was a it was a it was an interesting process for me personally. And kind of self reflection to go back and say, okay, no, because because you almost start to believe it when you get so many people saying something over and over again. Yeah. Uh, when you when you're hearing though that you've never presented the prosecution's case and you're only doing defense friendly stuff, it's like, wait a minute. You were – I get unedited Sandy's whole interviews, mm-hmm. all two hours of it unedited. Colleen Barnett coming in and explaining her case, and like I said, Colleen kind of advi- convinced me that there was likely a wrongful conviction here, and then we move forward. And then I, it was also, I think, an opportunity for me to be able to explain, like, this, you're not hearing just my opinions here. You know, we take things to the experts, you know, and and a lot. That's why I dropped in those clips from Jim Clemente, because when you when you take items where the prosecutor is saying this is an element that proves Sandy's guilt because the the knife was left in the, the bathtub and the backpack is left in the garage well, I mean, I'm already very suspicious or questioning Barnett when she's saying that none of these things make sense for a home invasion. Because so when we take all that together and and we bring in an FBI profiler that has worked literally thousands of these cases and he's I mean, his words were very clear. The prosecution said this is evidence that points towards Sandy. But and the reality of it is it it cuts the other way. Yeah, It, it is a counter indication of staging. This is these are indicators of a home invasion that has gone wrong. It would, if, if, if you're going to put in this much time and planning into staging the scene, you don't leave the murder weapon sitting in the bathtub. And if you were, uh, if you're going to stage it to look like a home invasion, you don't leave the backpack out in the middle of the garage. You know, that, that these are things that look like to Jim, not me. I mean, me also, but to Jim Clementi, these are indicators of a home invasion gone wrong. And then, you know, she, the, the big talking point is always Sandy changed her story over and over and over again. So we brought in a completely unbiased third party, uh, one of the top experts in the field, Jim Fitzgerald, and he listens to it and says, she didn't change her story. She didn't change her story at all. You know, she, she either, what did he say? She's either telling the truth and, and she has a, a limited memory because of the medical conditions or she's a great liar. But one way or the other, her story didn't change. Yeah. You know, so, so we're countering those points along the way. And then the argument that, you know, there's nothing about this scene. I've heard so many people say, and by so many people, you know, there's about a dozen people on the, uh, kind of the other side of the case that are that are vocal about it that you know there's there's nothing about this that connects it to a home invasion. It doesn't look like a home invasion at all. And it's like what do you what do you talk when we when we we interview talk to the and, and forget my conversation with the Kingwood home invasion victim, uh but just look at the police reports. Literally, it looks exactly the same. Yeah, that's not to say it was those people that did it, but it looks exactly the same. They they came in, they hit the victims over the head, they tied them up with items for their own from their own house. It was on a, in a nice neighborhood on a dead end street with a cul de sac at the end, the same type of neighborhood. They stacked the stuff out by their, their method of egress by the front door or in the garage, wherever the, wherever they were getting in and out. Everything looks exactly the same. And they didn't steal much. They stole small electronics and jewelry and things like that. Yeah. So like to say that this couldn't be a home invasion, which is Colleen Barnett's argument is, is ridiculous to me. Step into the world of power, loyalty.
2: A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kinda like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary, for Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
3: Well, she also goes on to you know, she makes her own narrative about the attack. That totally contradicts her own expert, her right. own blood expert, which mm-hmm. is just, it's her expert saying this is how it went down. And then she's saying, oh, my expert told me this. Well, no, no, she didn't. Not right. at all.
1: Well, I, I, I'll give her credit in the fact that she didn't say her expert oh, maybe, said okay, that. Oh, maybe she doesn't say the, that. But. The, what she does is she says, well, I had a blood spatter expert come in and she analyzed the blood, e- blood evidence. Okay. And my theory is that this happened. So she didn't say that Rossi said that. But she like brings her into the, it like, leaves you with the impression that Rossi she does, stated yeah. it when Rossi stated the exact opposite. So, you know, for someone that is wondering, like, how could you look at this evidence and come to the conclusion that, uh, Sandy Milgar's innocent? It's like, well, I took the prosecutor's arguments, every single one of her arguments for why she thinks Sandy's guilty, investigated every single one of those elements with experts. And came to the exact opposite conclusion of her. The experts came to the exact opposite conclusion of her, that she did. Um, so it was, to me, it was, I, I thought, for anybody that is looking at the case objectively, my hope was, here it is again, taking a year's worth of work and it, putting it together in a, in a small package. Uh, it, you can see, here's the, the the argument and counter-argument. This is what the prosecution says happened. This is what our other experts and myself Thing happen and then and then comparing that also to these other home invasions
3: yeah and i will say to get back on the the topic of your final episode here when i was listening to it i was on the way to the grocery store and we get to the end of it and i know liz is about to speak and i just paused it because i'm like i'm not going to be crying going in the grocery store <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh that's right because you were in here last week when we were editing yes. it um, and
3: i work. definitely cried afterwards but yeah.
1: i'm like i am not crying before i go in the grocery store <laughs> that was so emotional
2: for me i mean so i mean how many times does that get me mike hey man i all i know is we were recording and i looked over and you were a big weeping mess and i'm like <laughs> oh, we've got to get through this we are not going to get through this recording well it's, it's, it was it's... genuine I'll, I'll say that that uh, your reaction was genuine yeah, and, and I even cut some of it out
1: because it was almost in – you couldn't understand what I was saying because yeah. I was, as, as Mike said, a little, being a little baby over here. <laughs> yeah. Mike doesn't cry. No. <laughs> Mike doesn't cry at anything. It always makes me feel very bad about oh, myself. I cry all the time. Me too. Just for fun sometimes. Well, I don't cry for fun, but I cry. <laughs> Everything makes me cry. I can't help
3: it. The happy stuff, the sad stuff. Yeah. but
1: it, So I was the one that went through and edited that and cut it, cut those pieces together. And every time I had to listen, it got me every single time. Every time it got me. And I think part of that is because Liz Rose is such a strong woman. I mean, think about what she's been through and how she's had to condition herself to go through some of the most emotional things that any human being could ever imagine and try to hold it together and try to speak. And, you know, whether she's in front of the cameras for Dateline or 2020 or on the podcast here with me. So when she lost it like that i mean it just kind of because liz i mean liz as as i told you know she actually texted me last night and she's just like man i don't like i don't know i feel like i feel like i lost someone again because it's over and you know where do we go from here and my response to her was well currently i'm pulling my wife and daughter's disgusting hair out of the sink drains in my house (laughs) Which is what I was doing because of this home inspection. I said, and I'm texting, and I'm texting with my BFF Liz. And that, and that's what cause she had said like, now what? And I'm yeah. like, well, this is what now what looks like, regardless of the work that's being done in the case. I mean, she's a friend for life. She said it best. We're family. Um, and it was, it was hard to, to listen to her not be able to contain her emotions anymore. And I know that it's so genuine from her and she is so appreciative and she's been through so much. And that was, I mean, literally every time I played, you'd think I'd get conditioned to it, but it'd be okay. As you know, we were talking about all those tracks and lining up yeah. the timing and all that. Uh, I'd, I'd line up the track and play it through. And I tried to cut it off before it oh, got me again, got me again. <laughs> there she goes. Um, but yeah, that was, that was extremely rough. What, what did you think about? What did you think about the theory? I thought it was pretty spot on. You know, I think everything about it makes sense.
3: Not that we want to use that word again, right. making sense and not <laughs> right. making sense. But I dare
1: you to tell me it doesn't make sense. It
3: doesn't make sense, Bob. <laughs> Clearly. No, I, I thought the theory was well thought out, put together well. Um, you know, putting together the evidence that you had with the other home invasions, you know, that lines up well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you kind of changed the timeline a little bit. You know, Sandy says, she said anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes. Right. But if you re- realistically move that up to say he was gone A little bit, you know,
1: a couple of minutes, then she decides to get out. Moving up that timeline, I think, helps the story. Well, and part of that is everybody, and that's part of what Colleen said, that, you know, she's changing her story all the time. But if you listen to her interview, she says, I don't know. She wasn't looking at a clock. Who would be? Yeah. Yeah. Is normal. And so she says, I don't know, it was a couple minutes. It was five minutes. And then they're like, well, you know, there was this much time and this and that. Well, I don't know. Maybe it was 15 minutes. Yeah. But I mean, even the two hours in the tub, who knows if it was two hours? It could have been one hour. It, no one has any, there was no clocks in that bathroom. Uh, so I just, I don't, you know, I don't think we're, we, we need to focus in on the number of minutes because she doesn't know the number of minutes that they were in there. And, and to be clear for all, for everyone listening here that, you know, that's that theory is is fluid and dynamic i mean it, yeah. there, there there is i'm not saying i think that's exactly what happened i think that that is a a logical theory or hypothesis based on the evidence we have but any one of those things so like i said i think they came into the garage that doesn't mean they didn't come through the back door yeah they could have came through the back door the the, the timing and order of things but i mean i was just trying to And what i always do is look at every everything from the drink glass on the on the uh treadmill in the other room. Yeah. It's like, how did that get there? How could it have gotten there in, in any scenario? How does it, how does he end up putting his drink there? And it could have just been that he was, he knew he, you know, he was taking one last sip and sets it down to go get the dogs. Could have been that right then he heard something and was like, what's that? And he sets it down. I mean, it could, there's, uh, that could have gone any number of ways. Uh But I think that it's, it's plausible and there could be things that, you know, change a little bit yeah. throughout the theory. But I think that that home invasion theory fits the evidence as opposed to if you try to put together, let, let's do that. Let's, let's, this, I think this is a good exercise kind of, And this is on the fly. Neither one of you two knew I was going to do this. Neither did I let's work through a theory with the known evidence. How could
2: Sandy have done this? How does Sandy? Oh, I don't. The only time I chime in on the podcast is for, <laughs> <laughs> for wh- how, how she's guilty. I don't want to do that, but uh, I don't know, man. Um, let, Let's, let's start with some known factors. I think, I think the, I, I guess here's something. I mean, you're thinking about starting with known factors is probably going to go a lot further than, than my uh, comments here. But one thing that always got me was the fact that there is no blood or to my knowledge, is isn't, or is there any DNA outside of the bedroom and bathroom? Jim's blood you're talking about.
1: Yeah. 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 Right No,
2: Yeah. It's, everything is contained to the closet. Right, everything. And, yeah. So that, that's kind of the biggest, um, yeah, the biggest issue in my mind when I'm trying to piece everything together.
1: Now, it, why is it? Cause that, it's huge is, to me. I don't
2: know if it's this is, just, but no, it's a good point, and it's something that has genuinely always confused me.
1: Why Colleen Barnett and and Rossi, some of the the detectives, have said, you know, well, of course it's Sandy because there's no blood anywhere besides a closet, so that means it has to be her. And I've never understood why that points to her.
2: Well, I always thought it was they were coming from a place of because it would be just so darn difficult for somebody to leave the leave the bedroom and leave the house without leaving blood or or any kind of residue behind in right. the house on top of that the fact that she could have access to uh the bathroom to clean herself up i think is that's where i'm coming from with it i, I don't know what else
1: yeah and i and i get that that point with it but my question's always been no matter who it was they when the police got there they weren't still standing there right so whether they went to the bath i'll say this whether it was sandy or home invaders Someone went from that closet to the bathroom to put the knife and the clothes and mm-hmm. the, yeah. and they didn't leave a trace of blood between those two. Yeah, so it's 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 like so why like I don't see how that indicates one or the other because there's no indication that it was cleaned up. The carpet wasn't cleaned up. The there was nothing was was cleaned up. So why and and that's that's part of the reason why my theory is that and and that's also given. You know, the white stool, you can see the outline of the knife on the white stool where like yeah. a towel was set on it and it, it it left kind of a shadow of that knife on there when they were wiping it off. And that's one of the reasons I think that it, it to me it is more indicative of multiple offenders because that person that has blood on them is standing there and someone brings them towels and they're wiping themselves off. Whereas opposed to if it was just Sandy, she has to go with blood on her, has to leave the area to go into the bathroom. She's got a absolutely her hands and arms will be covered in blood grabbing those towels, grabbing things like that. There was no indications on the sink or anything that any she had cleaned up. Like I don't I don't personally it doesn't it doesn't make sense <laughs> to me that one person could have done that and got from the from the the closet to the bathroom without leaving a bloody trail.
3: Well, the other little minor theory too that that keeps, you know, they they keep talking about like the sex games thing, like she had him in the chair. Right. whatever. And then they talk about the reason that she didn't have you know that he didn't want to fight back because it was her. Right. So if that is the case, why is he reaching for the gun? Right. There, it's clear evidence that he's reaching for the gun. Yeah, it is. So if he yeah. didn't want to fight back, that sh- when she was stabbing him, why would she be? Why would he be going for that gun?
1: Right. And why would he have the defensive wounds he has? I mean, yeah. those aren't the bruising and the cuts and stuff he had. He wasn't just like, please, Noah. He was fighting. Yeah, fighting back. And and again, like Jim said, uh, and I think even Jim Fitzgerald said that you know the, the it's it's unfathomable to think that the person that did this, that engaged in that fight, wouldn't have any injuries on them uh, that show that they were in that fight. But, but you know, as far as the blood
2: goes, I mean, what...
3: I can't cook dinner without cutting myself. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think that your theory about the killer having help to clean up makes the most sense, given how contained the everything is. But I also... It would say to me that the... That these people maybe have killed before because... Who stops and 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 does this like super clean? Don't move. Don't touch anything. I'll be back to like. It gets me that they that they had a pr- a, a flawless process to cleaning this. You know, it seems right. to me like there's this kind of like they had gone through it before or something. It just doesn't come across to me that they would just stop immediately with what they're doing. Make sure the person who killed Jim didn't move, and then there was two or three other people like helping clean this mess up i i just i find that a little tricky yeah so I,
1: I think it depends on how you look at it because like for me i don't see it happening like that what i see is the um, and from talking to jim and learning a lot about criminal behavior and stuff like that that there is a recovery process that's going to happen and i said this months and months ago whether it was sandy or a home invader whoever when they took a life, even if they've never done that before and they engage in a fight like that. There's going to be like this stand because this person is not dripping in blood, right? I mean, they're they're getting blood on them, but Jim, there wasn't blood all over the place. Like they're they have blood dripping off them. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have probably blood from the waist down because it was a face to face fight. So they just have blood probably on their face, their torso, and their arms, probably on their clothes. Uh, But I think there's that recovery time where this person is. And and if we're talking about you know a team of like like in Kingwood of four or five people. This person is getting back and they're probably like, what the fuck? What what just happened? You know, I, and they're, they're in that recovery and there's all these people around and she's covered in blood that somebody's like, shit, grab it, throwing, just throwing her a towel, not even like forensically, just like, here, just clean yourself up, clean yourself up. And they're wiping off. And that, and that's literally all it would take to get this person, the, the blood off of them, even if it was just for their own kids, they just don't want to have blood all over them. To throw them a towel and then to wipe themselves off. And if they, they have that white shirt on with blood and take the shirt off and, like, okay, throw this up. We need to get out of here. And they just grab all that and they throw it in the tub and yeah. they get out of there.
3: But how many times as a parent have you done this where your child will make a mess and you go, stay right there, don't move?
1: Right. Many times. That's a really good point, actually. You
3: know, that's not saying obviously they're not, that maybe they're parents, maybe they're not, but that's that's something I know I've done a ton. Mm-hmm. You know, my son mm-hmm. will make a mess and I go, stay right there, don't move. Yeah. Let me clean you up. Sure. That's interesting.
1: That's it. It's an interesting thought. I mean, it may be nothing, but it for me, just thinking about you're always looking at these practical things when you're looking at a a profile. Yeah. And I've done exactly that. You know, I've, I've had kids that have thrown up, have you know, when they're real little, have messed their pants or yeah. just come into the house and they're covered in mud. And I yeah, just, just stay right there. Stay right there, and then you grab towels and whatever and clean them up so you're not spreading it through the rest of the house. And that
3: doesn't mean that's what happened here, but at the same point, that happens. Yeah. you do that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it it could be
1: logical that that sure sure. Well, look at the other side of it, like to Mike's point. So let's say it, it was Sandy. So same scenario, whoever it is, they, they, they stabbed Jim. They're engaged in this fight. They're, they're going to be hot. T- I don't know if you've ever been in a, in, in a fight, but I have and it's exhausting. It's much more tiring than people that you ever I used to box and I had no idea how in three minutes of boxing, you can feel like you're going to have a heart attack because yeah. it's, it's so, it's so tiring, uh, but but so say it was Sandy. She gets up and she's covered in blood. Her hands, her body, her her face, chest, everything. She's covered in blood. How does Sandy end up with the scene looking the way it does? Can we think of a way? It's tough.
3: It's really tough. I mean, so you start. You know, the way that I would go is is try to follow the narrative they use, which is like the the sex game narrative, like I brought it before. Uh huh. You, you remove them from the tub. Maybe they were in the tub. Right. Leave the water. I don't mm-hmm. know, but you remove them from the tub. You you have this whatever is going on in the chair, which is what they tried to say. Yeah. Uh-huh. Let's say that that's where the attack happened. You know, okay. the wounds don't necessarily line up like that. Uh-huh. But let's try to say that happens. You know, maybe Jim jumps up. That's why the chair falls over. Uh huh. He, you know, she starts to attack him. Jim jumps up. The chair flips over backwards. It, but that's where I mean, that's where you really start to lose because, like, again. It's hard to say that that she wouldn't have any wounds on her. It's hard right. to say that, you know, Jim being a fairly healthy man, right, couldn't, you know, be able to. I don't know what I don't know the word I want to use, but basically
2: overpower or defend himself, defend or? himself against
1: yeah. this woman that I've thought about that practically too. Just thinking of, uh, obviously not thinking about my wife stabbing me, but just yeah. anyone, I, you know. Obviously, my wife is much smaller and weaker than I am um don't tell her that right <laughs> uh that's that's not a man woman thing it's the yeah. fact that uh she is literally less than half my size and i lift weights yeah. so uh i can i can think i can i can honestly say i'm stronger than my wife <laughs> my, my five foot six wife um uh, but if she was even like in, in a life and death fight if she's she's trying to stab me and and that's one of the reasons i think there might have been a second person in there because none of those blows the stab wounds were immediately incapacitating. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that at some point you can't get a hold of a wrist or something and just flip them over and get on mm-hmm. top of them and take that knife out of their hand to, to put a stop to it. it. It seems it seems crazy that that Jim couldn't stop someone like his, his from Sandy from from killing him to yeah. get stabbed and cut that many times that he couldn't. I mean, just imagine, just practically speaking, someone's on top of you. You know, flailing with arms and fists that you can't just 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 wrap them up pretty quick, especially if you're much stronger than them. Well, let me take that to uh, again back to forget the fight, forget the injuries, forget the sex toys. Mm-hmm. I just want to know how does Sandy, standing in that closet covered in blood, how does she end up where she ended up, which is without a drop of blood on her, no blood in her hair, none on her fingernails, none of Jim's DNA, and there's no blood tracking. Anywhere from the closet into the bathroom, how does that happen? how How does one forget Sandy? How does one individual person do that? Boy, that's tough. That that's really tough to figure out. I just can't, and and I hope people are listening like this process because this is. I mean, we're doing this live, but this is my thought process. Like, I I try to look at both sides of it. Like, how can a group of three or four people do it? It's easy. You throw them a towel, and they clean themselves up, and one person carries that, throws
3: it in. So, I mean. You know, obviously we're just making, we're, we're, we're just trying to come up with a theory. But the only thing that I could think is if something like that happened, maybe that's where the shirt comes from. Maybe she's in the closet. Uh-huh. She grabs a shirt off a hanger, cleans herself off with that.
1: Except as a female shirt and it was Jim's closet. Well, I didn't, I don't know that part. So <laughs> right. I didn't realize that. Well, I guess
3: they yeah. do have separate closets. It's whole part of the story. And yeah. I knew that. I just didn't think about that. So forget what I just said. Yeah,
2: it happens. It's, a, it's a complicated case, man. I but mean, that's, that's where I was thinking but, is,
3: is maybe you take a shirt. Yeah, you you mildly clean off, then you can get to the towels, right? But if, like you said,
1: that's a it's a female's shirt. Yeah, male closet. There's got to be somewhere some trade because you know when they when they looked at the sinks and stuff in the bathroom and everywhere, not only was there no sign of them cleaning of there anybody cleaning up, but I mean there was counter indications of that. You know, during you didn't see it in the reports, of course, but you saw it during the trial testimony with Carpenter, where Seacrest is showing him photos. Say, isn't that like dust and debris and hairs? In that sink and around it and he agreed. Yes. So it's it's, it's not just that we don't see that she cleaned up. We actually see evidence that she didn't clean up up. because if you ran water through that and. Yeah,
2: but you would still have to assume that whoever did did kill Jim did clean up. I don't think so. I don't think I think that. Or they got, they must have got really lucky, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, to not leave anything anywhere without, without cleaning up. Well, I think that, well,
1: first of all, I think they did leave something somewhere. I think they left their DNA and, and Harris County just didn't work hard enough to find it. Yeah. Uh, and so when we talk to Jim Clemente and he talks about kind of fight or flight, not even fight or flight, but you know, when we're looking at, a crime scene and profiling it. We're looking at the criminal's behavior. And so say in a case where there was a lot that went into body concealment, he'll say that's likely somebody with a known personal relationship with the victim because the instinct of just about anyone when they kill somebody is to get away. They're at risk for every second they're near that body. They just need to get away. And so if they, if they're, they're covered in blood, they, they, they clean the blood off the best they can. They throw that stuff in the tub, and that's why the backpack gets left. That's why stuff gets left. And they just get the hell out of there. And if you were talking about multiple people, the person who had the blood on them, because they they've wiped themselves off, but they, they didn't get everything off, right? But since there's multiple people, they don't have to open a door. They don't have to flip a light switch. They don't have to touch anything. They just leave. As opposed to if it was Sandy, she's got to do all that. And I don't know how, you know, the, the evidence shows that there was nobody took a shower. Nobody cleaned up in the sinks. Nobody, so I I just can't see how, I can't work out a theory where Sandy, we jump to the point where she's standing there over her husband, dead, she's covered in blood, how she can get from there to the bathroom, dispose of, or put the the towels and the murder weapon in the tub, somehow get all that blood off of herself, and then get into the closet and not leave a tray. You talk about lucky. That's lucky that's a criminal mastermind to do that i don't see I don't see how it's even remotely possible for that to happen and I, and I'm certainly willing to entertain theories on that i just I can't make it make sense
2: yeah. it's it does seem just as fathomable though that the ones who did did kill Jim were that clean about it i mean that is that is that's shocking to me that there was just not as much of a mess anywhere else i mean that makes to me
1: to me it's 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 apples and oranges because Remember that person doesn't have to be completely clean and with no blood on them and no blood in their hair right. and no trace because they left. Right. You know what I mean? So so we're not saying that the person that left was completely cleaned off just like Sandy. Right. All we know is they got the blood that was dripping off, took their shirt off, and left the house. Which which to me seems like a much much more fathomable feat than than Sandy ending up without a trace of blood yeah. or injury yeah. on yeah. her
2: anywhere for me too the the biggest the biggest indicator for me about uh, how i i don't believe she did it is the fact that there's just no injuries no blood nothing on her she would have something left some residue you know blood under her fingernails scratches cuts and she has nothing come on man step into the world of power loyalty
1: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
0: VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Okay, next I want to talk a little bit about Exhibit A. Uh, I was super excited that this this show was coming out on Netflix because it's covering one of our cases, the George Powell case. And as you all know, last week we got some amazing news about George literally two days before this thing aired. So now George's conviction has been overturned by the Court of Criminal Appeals in Texas. But very strangely, as Mike Ware said, they didn't even address the actual innocence claims, which to me was, I mean, there certainly was prosecutorial misconduct in that case. That was, that was decidedly so by the CCA. But the actual innocence claim is more obvious in that case to me than it has been in any of the other cases we ever worked. And I thought that exhibit A on Netflix did a good job of explaining why, I love the the contrast between the original uh, photogrammetry expert, Michael Knox, to the new photogrammetry expert, Grant Fredericks. Uh, what what did you guys think of the of the episode?
2: Uh, it's, I thought it was pretty good. Um, it definitely covered just about everything we've done on the podcast with it. One thing that I think the show did that we didn't do so much was actually get into uh, jo- more of George, his personality. Mm-hmm. His very colorful personality. Yeah, he
1: does have a... But one thing that I, I like, I love the fact that they they showed a lot of George and let George be out there. Yeah. But to me, some of it, I wish the filmmakers had focused more on the evidence for a show that is about evidence because the the evidence in his case is so strong and I feel like they could have put more time into talking about it instead of, you know, instead of spending three minutes on George rapping into the camera and... And and it's 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 a hard balance because we want to see George and we want to see more yeah. of George, but really I, it didn't seem to me like they really put a clear enough button on it. Like it was, I, I'm wondering if it was confusing to someone that doesn't know the case real thoroughly.
3: They did seem to leave it very open ended. I mean, right. they're, they're I get what they're doing. They're trying to allow you to come up with your own idea of what happened. But it was it was very open ended. And like you said, they they showed George a lot. They showed um I can't remember her name, but the one witness a lot.
1: Elsie. Yeah, yeah, they
3: showed her a lot.
1: I I didn't mind that because I was really curious who she was. So that was okay. but I, I think that they didn't maybe make clear enough exactly what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but they didn't have enough time, which is again why I was like, I, I think they could have cut out some of that other stuff, but but so Elsie was the one that called in the Crime Stoppers tip. When and we got that, we figured later when you you're one but you're kinda of wondering who she is for a while and yeah. then after they talk about the Crime Stoppers thing. Then she comes in and says, well, you know, I, I kind of feel bad about turning him in or I, I worry, you know, did I do the right thing? So it, that was her, but it was, I, I thought it was really so powerful to, if you're paying attention to listen to her for her trying to explain how George could possibly have looked that short.
3: Yeah. With, with his, with his, um, uh... The way he was standing. And yeah. It, it didn't make a lot of sense, especially when you can see the, at, the videos that show that he's not standing. Right. The perpetrator's not standing like that. And right.
2: He's standing
1: There's, upright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and I thought it did a good job of highlighting how when Grant Frederick says, you know, they used one image in court of him kind of leaning over, walking out the door. Like, that's so telling that it was so, it was so swayed yeah. towards the, I mean, they, they knew, they used an image of George, or not of George, of the person mm-hmm. walking out of the, convenience store when they're kind of leaned over as they're walking out so they could say well it looks like he's smaller because he's leaning out when as grant frederick said there you know the the video is a series of still images and they sh- they did it was cool they showed on there look at all these other ones they could use here's yeah. images of him standing straight up in that same spot but they yeah. didn't use that because they couldn't make the argument that maybe he was leaning but the most telling part to me was when they, they showed the convenience store clerk herself who was five foot six right after the perpetrator leaves she walks up to unlock the door to lock the door and she's coming to the exact same place so like using that methodology that michael knox used i would say okay so she must be over six foot one then yeah because she's coming to the same spot on the door very close to it um so i thought it was really cool they highlighted i loved tamara on there uh george's fiance yeah i thought she did a fantastic job it was kind of cool to hear her talk about how their relationship blossomed. She talked, a, she talked a little bit about it on our show last year when we were covering the case, or I guess it was, has it been two years now? I don't think it's been two years. Yeah, it's been whenever it was, when we covered season four. Yeah.
3: I mean, I thought the show was well. I thought it was well done, but I was a little disappointed just because I did leave it so open-ended. Right. And I feel like, I haven't watched the other episodes, but I feel like that's what I've heard as well, is that they they have this tendency yeah. to kind of leave them open-ended, which I guess, again, they're trying to allow you to come up with your own conclusion as to
1: what happened right and they're they're being neutral about it and i have i have watched the second episode also but yeah so i like the fact that they're kind of neutral about it but i i almost feel like they didn't give you quite the information you needed yeah to make you know they were they didn't make clear to me this was the original expert this is what they said and then here was the new expert and this is why their opinions conflicted and so and that's what's going on now like they didn't even really mention what was going on in in the appeals and and all that they talked about the the Texas forensic science commission so i mean it, it, the information was there i just wish they had been for george's sake for people to know what really happened in his case i wish they had been more clear about you know and and again they 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 did a good job of getting the information out there with letting the people themselves tell the story but i just wish there was kind of a narrator to Put a button on it, you know. When uh, when Michael Knox says, "I just plug the information into the software," and and that uh, you know you can't get any more objective than that. Yeah. But what they didn't say is, and, and, and by the way, best part of the episode is Mike Ware. I yeah. could I could watch Mike. He's a Ware. Great guy. Yeah. yeah, and he's so you know he's he's like it's really hard. What do you say? It's, it's it's you know it's hard to call bullshit on a on a, 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 a an expert witness or something like that. It's very Mike has always been very straightforward. Yeah. Very blunt. Um, and I loved him on the episode, but you know, they didn't explain that. And, and Mike then says, well, you know, he never went to the scene, but I wish they could, would have connected that on the, on the, on the show to explain to the viewers that do you understand that the way that software works is you have to input the known measurements as he said, but he never went to the scene and took any measurements. Yeah. So how the hell can you possibly input the correct measurements when you never went there and took any measurements? Um, but I, yeah, I thought it, I thought it was really, really well done in the fact that it was neat to see Michael Knox state his case and yeah. it good to see Grant Frederick stating his case. It was nice to see, um, uh, Mike Ware on there. It was cool to see George being, you know, cause we got, we got to know George a little bit. We talked to him quite a few times. He didn't yeah. get it. We only, it was a, it was a mini series for us. It was only six episodes. Uh, so we didn't hear from him a lot on the podcast, but,
3: uh. And if you step back as not a listener of, of your show or anything, just, uh. A normal user of Netflix watching it, it is kind of neat to kind of see the process that these guys go through. Right. Regardless of how you feel about the case, you get to at least see how these things come about and how they mm-hmm. can use these experts.
1: Right. Yep. And uh, in again, the second episode was the second episode's on blood spatter, um, and that one was really even more kind of confusing. I think that it was not confusing, but they you know they they had the one expert, they kind of lead you down the path of of they found this evidence, and this is this is a case where. The blood spatter evidence solved the case and they figure it out. And then they kind of, they, they pull a fast one on you and then they swing back. was like, nope, kind of like in George's. Here's the other expert that comes in and says that that's not accurate. Yeah. Um, and it's very open ended. So, I mean, all in all, I think it's, 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 it's good. It's interesting. I think that it, it, you really get to see the people involved, which is cool. There's a personal connection there. Yeah. Uh, with the people that were convicted. Um, for me, I just, I'm the same, I had the same issue with making a murderer, you know, the season two of making a murderer. Kathleen Zellner was awesome. The forensic evidence, all, the, all that stuff was really cool to watch. But to me, you know, it was about eight hours too long because they had all the, the interviewing the family and this, and, and which you need, but it was like, a, for me personally that, you know, for I'm, I'm trying to look, you know, be more evidence-based. I'm like, okay, I, I get it. They're upset, you know, and I get why they're upset, but it's like, I don't need yeah. six hours of them being upset. I would rather focus in on the, the actual elements of the case, but um all in all i thought it was it was really well done if you haven't watched it yet check it out you get to see george rapping on tv through the i wonder if that's ever happened before I, there's no way that they've had that
3: happen before no i mean i don't know the producers of this necessarily maybe they have for some reason but as a true crime producer i can't believe that they've ever like yeah just spit some rhymes for us yeah well
1: because you hear you hear the rapping going on and it's it's like it's like going on and on and then it cuts to, and you realize it's George on the phone in yes. the, in the visitor room, rapping through the, through the phone. Um, but George is, I, I can't wait till he gets out and I can go down and meet him in person. Cause he is, he's a character, man. He's, he's, a, he's a cool dude. And, uh, he's, he's looking forward to getting out and make, I guess when he said finish what he started, I assume make more music. Yeah. That's what I got from it is, is what he's going to do. But, uh. Yeah, it was cool. You get a lot of insight into George. You even got to meet uh, George's ex-wife and his son is in there. Um, But uh, if you haven't checked it out, check it out. It's really good. The parts, especially with Grant Fredericks and Mike Ware, where they're explaining stuff more and how the photogrammetry works. And you you see there's just no way. There's no possible way that was George Powell in those videos. So definitely check that out.
3: Especially when they go through and do the the 3D imaging. That part was really cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I remember when they did that because that was during the time we were doing the podcast yeah. where they they just took a little three D scan of George, and and of course you know with Becky when we're watching it, she said the the first thing she said, why the hell didn't they just take him there? Yeah, walk him around, and they should yeah. have because now the cameras are all different, and they've moved and stuff, but you know that was our biggest frustration during the season is you know George had an attorney that wasn't really fighting for him properly because that's literally all they had to do was to file or put in a request with the, the 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 judge before his trial and say okay well let's go walk him through there walk in and out just like that yeah and we can compare the video side by side and see if it's even possible to him but nobody ever did that uh and that's why i mean that is one of the most all these cases are tragic but man george spending 10 years in prison for something that ridiculous I mean, it is. I, I can't imagine there's anybody out there that's looking at that or listen our show or just followed, read the case documents and looked at the information out there. I cannot imagine there is a single person out there that's going, "Yep, that's him." There's just no way. You don't. Yeah. You can mistake somebody. You can mistake you for me. Mm-hmm. You know, how tall are you? 6'2". Six six, are you really? Yeah. Wow, tall guy.
3: I'm not that. T- so that's a, that's <laughs> the, that's the one thing about this case when they kept like, "Oh, he's he's so tall. tall. He's six guy, three, and I'm
1: like, "I'm six two. I don't feel that tall." I know. Right. But so you, and I'm six one. So like people can mistake you for me. Absolutely. And Mike's about the same. We're all three about the same height. We're within a couple inches of each other. Yeah. But when somebody walks in that's six foot three, tall, thin guy that's six foot three and somebody that's literally on that video is someone Becky's height at five six. Like no one would mistake those two people. Yeah. No one would mistake or my little brother is, is five foot eight even. Like, like no one would mistake him for you. Yeah. You know, because he's, he's so much taller or you're so much taller than he is. There's a, there's a, there's a difference between some average sized people and a tall person and a short person, which was what the comparison was they made here. Um, and so moving on from there, I want to wrap things up cause we're way longer than Mike probably wanted to edit today. <laughs> I was ready for anything, Bob. right. <laughs> he stares off into space. Uh, want to talk a little bit about Zach and your show made us, uh, we brought Zach on to the NBI studios. How long have you been going? About a year? Uh, yeah, like something like that. Well, it was last August. So So coming up up on on a year. And so explain to us what the model is of the Made Us podcast. So basically, Made Us
3: is we interview people each week. We take a deep dive into a story that made a person. Everybody has a story. You know, you might have multiple stories, but for the most part, everybody has a story that kind of created you as a person. Mm -hmm. And we take a deep dive, typically comical, into Mm -hmm. these stories of why the story made you and what we can get out of that to help people along the way. Some of these stories are funny. Some of them will make you cry. It's kind of all over the board. Mm-hmm. But the point is, it doesn't matter what your story is. It's the fact that you have one and you can help
1: somebody with your story. You said it's sometimes comical and sometimes mm-hmm. comical. like that's that's my favorite part of the show is especially from like Mike and I coming from the fire service. You know, you you have to have kind of a sick sense of humor about things yeah. because that's how we get through. You, you can't see the things we've seen and experience the things we've experienced and not Not be able to find a way to find some humor or some, or some joy in what you're doing. Otherwise you'll just, you'll just, you you won't be able to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I've listened to some of them that are just really powerful stories. You know, one that comes to mind is, is Josh Frazee. Yep. Um, who had colon cancer at a very young age, uh, and almost didn't make it. They basically told him he was going
3: to die. They didn't give him an option. I mean, they told him he was going to die. Get your stuff in order. You're going to die. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I know Josh, as a matter of fact, Josh is my realtor. He just sold my house. Oh crazy Team Realty, if you need somebody in Southwest <laughs> Michigan but um uh, but 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 to me, like that story, I know him personally, and I know that story did make him because I knew Josh before the cancer, yeah, and I knew him after the cancer, and he's a different guy between the two i I mean he's the same guy, but it really it really changes outlook and perspective yep. on things when he made it through it, and to be able to listen to him, tell that story, and laugh about it yeah and 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 joke about it a little bit, I think gives some people hope that are going through a chronic illness um i mean you've had people on talking about fertility you've had oh yeah all over the board yeah and if you (laughs) if you want to hear the stupidest stories that will make you laugh for an hour and a half is the uh the vasectomy episode with me and tj
3: episode 15 the the
1: vasectomy roundtable which that was the point
3: of that is not only is that you know we had a good time the point of that was to come together and have a good time but the underlying thing of that which is what i try to do is it shows people it's okay to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, most men don't talk about that. Not that I'm going to get into vasectomies on your show, but most <laughs> men don't want to talk about right. that. And it wasn't the fact that we were going to come on and have this, you know, it was funny. It was a good listen. I've got yeah. tons of compliments about that episode, but it was the fact that we were talking about it. And that's all it was is to right. open that door to say, it's okay to talk about this.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah. So if you, if you are listening to this and this uh, true crime fan that for some reason wants to hear me t- tell the story about when I got a vasectomy, uh, you can listen to episode 15 of the Made Us podcast. Um, but then in this week, the episode that dropped yesterday. Yes, sir. Uh, we actually had uh, you had a guest that has been on Truth and Justice, which is Kelly. I know her from Facebook as Kelly DZ. I don't know. I'm drawing a blank on her actual. DZ Kelly DZ Kelly D-Zick. Um but she, but she Kelly came on to talk to us on the podcast about PTSD and traumatic memories. And she had hinted on our show that, not hinted, but we, we just didn't have time to get into it. That she had a hell of a story that made her, uh, that had to do with her kind of growing up in a cult. Yep. And uh, because of that, of course, Zach reached out to her and, and brought her on to Made Us.
3: Yeah, and we had a phenomenal conversation. And that's exactly what it is. She was born and raised in a cult. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into all the details. I'd love for you to listen. Mm-hmm. But she was born and raised in a cult. And it's her life growing up in this cult and getting out of this cult in her life post-cult. Uh And not only just that, but her family, you know, I mean, obviously her family was part of it too. So at the time that she left, her family didn't leave. Right. So you have to deal with, you know, I mean, there's a lot going on there and it's just showing people that no matter your
1: circumstance. You can persevere. You can persevere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that is episode number what? 33. Episode number 33 of Made Us with Zach Weaver. That's Zach with a Q. Yes, sir. Uh, Spells his name funny uh but but that dropped Thursday yesterday yesterday yeah so if you want to hear and I know a lot of you from the fan page as well as just from listening to this podcast know Kelly Dezik from being on the show and the work that she's doing so I would highly recommend if you're looking for something again remember next week we are going to be off when Mike and I are out investigating our new our new case in Bloomington Illinois uh, I know I did, did want to clear a little bit up there. So some people, you know, we put the little, the little short trailer out and some people were asking on this thread that I said I was going to read and I never got to. Um, but yeah, the, the case that we're covering is the murder of Billy Little. It was a 1991 murder in Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, it was a, it was a strange case. It took the police eight years to make an arrest and, uh, it, it seems like they very well may have arrested the wrong guy and, uh, Jamie Snow is the person who's been convicted has been in prison since 1999 for for this case and still fighting for his freedom. And uh our approach to this case is going to be to go back from the beginning. You won't hear much from Jamie or about Jamie until we get to Jamie. And since it took eight years for them to get there, we're going to do eight years of episodes. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're not doing eight years of episodes. But we're going to cover the case first and see where the, the investigative past lead us uh, before we really start to get into Jamie. But uh we are looking forward to launching into that. And next week when we're off, check out Made Us episode number 31, 33 with Kelly <laughs> Uh I'm looking forward to listening to it myself uh, and we'll probably be listening to it while we're on the road. And if you're looking for other things to listen to, don't forget there's a bunch of other NBI shows out there. Don't forget about The Root Note with Shane Yoder, our music man, Shane Yoder. Uh, Shane does a, a phenomenal podcast, uh, where he interviews people telling their stories. And then he puts that into a song, which is his business. Put them in a song.com hustle the heels has just started their summer break, but they've got a bunch of episodes to listen to. And the newest NBI show is disgruntled moms, which if you are a mom or a parent really at all, and you know, the struggles that they go through, if you want to listen to five hilarious women, they are some of the sharpest, funniest women. I, when, when they told me they were going to do the show, I thought this can't work. You can't get five people together to yeah. and make something that is consistently good, and they knock it out of the park every week. Uh, so that, so check out Disgruntled Moms. And one last time for sure, check out the Made Us podcast with Zach Weaver. Uh, after the credits, we're going to have a trailer uh, of his episode here, so you can hear the episode with, with Kelly, and that episode is number 33 of Made Us. And we will see you guys in two weeks on July 14th for the Season 7 premiere of Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Thank you to Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. And all of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedIntandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Rachel Timberman, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Catherine Chrisman, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. Lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. And if you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com, just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at Truth Justice Pod, and my personal Twitter handle is at Bob Ruff Truth. And For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at truthjusticepod don't forget we always have our 24 7 voicemail line open for questions comments or tips on our cases that phone number is 269-224-2833 however you do it stay engaged stay in touch but as for now we're signing off i'm bob ruff and i'm mike bussing and this has been truth and justice
3: When you find out everything you know is basically wrong, it's earth-shattering. Yeah.
0: Cults can exist outside of religious groups, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, They're really about a continuum of influence, an environment where bad things could happen and where people's free will kind of gets ground down. I knew that there was something weird about or different about the group I grew up in. And at that time, I was not very willing to talk to people about it. The group started to get more and more and more invasive in people's lives. I'm am going to start crying. You know, sometimes I wear red shoes just to remind myself that the things that you need... In life are inside of you.
3: I am your host, Zach Weaver, and this is Made Us.
0: The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger?
1: You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro, driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost.